Testing. There we go. It was muted here. Sorry. All right. I'll tone it down because I'll bust your ears. But anyway, so when I get, Neoma gets to the end of what she's telling me, I have no clue what she just said. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's easy to do that. It's easy to, when someone is talking, to just be completely disengaged and not actually listening to what is being said. All right? So there's a, there's a story. There's a story with that. I'm not sure it was a, a little girl who was trying to explain something or saying something to her dad, and her dad was distracted, probably on his phone, messing around. And you know how our children do. If, I mean, if ours, I remember ours doing it. When they're trying to tell you something, they'll grab your face and turn your face over towards them. It's like, listen with your face, right? Like, be focused, be there, pay attention to what I'm saying, and actually truly listen. And if I am truly listening to what someone is saying to me, that means I am engaged in the conversation. I'm interested and in participating in what the person is saying, but not only with what they're saying, but also with the person. So there's a relationship that happens as you truly listen to someone. So for the text today, I'm going to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 4. And you heard the text that, um, that Merv read for us. And I'll refer back to that a little bit later here in our sermon. So today in Mark 4, this is the first, at least in in Mark's gospel, one of the first parables that Jesus speaks that is recorded. Now it makes it clear, I think, that he has spoken in parables, his teaching, he's spoken in parables before, but this is the first one that he records for us, and it's so, so familiar this, this parable is really, really familiar, but what makes it unique is that Jesus gives a parable, and then in private with his disciples, he actually explains what he just said. And um, so we'll dig into that a little bit later. So parables were obviously something that were very common. John MacArthur describes a parable this way. He said, a parable is an ingeniously simple word picture that illuminates a profound spiritual lesson. So it's kind of like an object lesson, um, but it's in Jesus' teaching, it always is, points us to something deeper. So if you're in Mark chapter 4, I want to read verses 4 through 9, and then we'll pick up the rest of it a little bit later. Mark 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he went into a boat and he sat on it. On, I'm sorry, and, and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang, immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil, but when the sun came, rose and it was scorched, it had, for it had no root and it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked, and it yielded no grain. And the other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Did you notice how Jesus began and ended his parable? The first word that Jesus says is, listen. So, truly listen, that means we actually engage in what Jesus is, is saying. And then he ends it with, he, he who has ears to hear, let him hear or let him listen. Truly, truly listen. So let me just give you a little bit of a setting. Um, and he gives us some of it at the start of chapter 4. What is happening here? And then we'll just go through the parable briefly. So Jesus, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. And it's not the first time that large crowds have come to hear him. So think about it. If you'd be in this crowd of people, you hear this new teacher, um, and you hear of his miracles, all the miracles that have, he's done, and people are intrigued with him. Some of them are very skeptical of him. So there's all kinds of different reasons why the crowds of people are flocking around Jesus. But you see, the, the press of the crowd was so great... It says that Jesus got out into a boat. I don't think this is the only time this happened, but he pushed off to shore a little bit, and then the people could get right around so that he could actually um, preach to the whole crowd and teach them. And then he gives them this simple parable about the... It's called, I think most of our Bibles, my Bible um, it gives the heading of the parable of the sower. I'd probably label it the parable of the soils because I think that's the heart of what the parable is about. So he gives us the four places that the seed lands on. So there's a couple of things that are unique um, with spreading seed or planting seed in their day versus ours. It's quite different. Now it's all about precision. You prepare the seed bed, and you precisely put the seed at just the right depth in the right amount of moisture so that it sprouts quickly and evenly and you get a consistent growth all across. Now, I'm sure some of you have done it. I know I've done this um, in just filling in um, a patch of yard where you want to spread a little bit of grass. You just grab a bucket with some grass, grass seeds and you just take your hand and you spread them. So that is, that is what, how this would have been done. You carry a, This guy carries his bag full of seeds, and he grabs a handful, and he spreads them like this across, but he wants to get them all the way out to the edge. And so as you do that, as you spread your seeds, they're going to land some not exactly where you want it. Some will land, like he said, on the path. Some will land in the rocky soil. And if you could, I couldn't find a picture that I actually liked, but um, if we could see a picture of what the fields looked like, um, there are, or there, there would have been footpaths that would have gone between the fields separating Marvin's field from Benson's field over here. And then right over here, there was another path going the other direction that separated Benson's field from Sean's field, and so on. And so you would walk on those paths so as to not trample in the field where the good soil is, and all these fields would be bordered by these paths where the people walked, and so as the seeds were spread, some of them would land there. So Jesus says, some of it fell on the path, and so you get that. On a footpath or a hard-packed path, you spread seed on there, it's not going to do much. It's like a, a roaming bird feeder, if you will. I mean, 
Birds are going to come, and they clean it up. And he says that's exactly what happens. Oh, here's something else that's interesting with the way that the seeds were planted in this setting. So the seeds were spread in the field, and then they were worked into the soil. So you didn't have a a drill or a planter that would actually place the seed in the soil and cover it up as you go. So they would spread the seed, and then they would take their rake, their hose, their shovels, whatever, and they would work the seed into the soil. So remember that, um, because I think it's important as we go forward. So some of these seeds lands on the path. Some would land along the rocky, the rocky, um, rocky ground, they call it. But most likely, it was right along the footpaths where they would clear the field, the stones out of their field, and they would put them over alongside the path. Because you don't, obviously you don't want the stones in your field, and so you'd have a dumping spot. It still happens today. Um, it's not, not in this area, but in many parts of the world in the U.S., Canada, wherever where farming is done, you've got to clear the rocks out of your field every year because they keep cropping up. Um, so they're big old rock pickers now that go through, you pick up the rocks, and they create these massive piles of stones. But in those stones, you, you see a pile of stones for a, for a period of time. There's dirt around them, and seed would fall down in between some of those stones, and it would sprout quickly but then they wouldn't die, or they die quickly because they couldn't get any roots. Then there's a thorny ground that he says some of it fell on. And I think it's worth noting that I think this was also fertile soil because it says the plants grew up and they grew well. And they looked really good for a time. But soon the, the thorns would come and they would choke it out. And notice it says that does not say that the plant dies. It simply says that it doesn't bear any fruit. And then you come to the fourth one, the good soil. It produces a good crop, a bumper crop. Now, anyone who is listening would have known, and we all know, right? The good soil is what we're striving for. That is the aim. That is the desire where we want to be. We all want to be good soil. Now, I think it's easy for us to automatically assume that we're good soil. And the question I ask myself is, okay, am I good soil? What does it take to be good soil? What was the point that Jesus was saying? So Jesus gives this, what is it, five, four or five verses of the actual parable, gives them a story about how to grow a good crop, something that this agrarian society would have understood and gotten, and then he's done. There's a sermon, it's over. But he ends it with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So it's almost like he gives the crowd this this teaser. There's something more, but he doesn't give it to them. So there's something more, and they're kind of left hanging, if you will. So now, let's pick up the text again and read from verse 10 on down through verse 20. And when he was done, and when he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To whom to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God? For, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand 
this parable. How then will you understand all parables? We're just going to stop there for just a minute before we go into how he explains. So notice the shift. So now Jesus is away from the crowds. I don't know if it's the same day or the next morning or whatever, but I gather that it's the disciples and there's probably a few others around him. And Jesus sits them down and he, he explains the parable. They ask. They ask a question. They ask what it means. And I think that's important for us to, in understanding and allowing God's Word to penetrate into our hearts is to ask the questions. But this is, takes place in a very private conversation. And here in Mark, he quotes from that passage in Isaiah that Merv read for us. In Matthew's account, in, in Matthew 13, he quotes, or he, Matthew quotes a bigger portion of that piece in Isaiah. But he says, in, in that, those verses that Merv read, it's, it sounds as though God is stopping them from hearing. God is the one who blocks them from seeing and understanding. He's the one who makes them to be blind so that they don't understand. So what's going on in the context? By the way, the reason Jesus, I believe, quotes from Isaiah is that was the scripture that the people he, that were he was speaking to had. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but they knew the scriptures from Isaiah. There's also another reference that refers back for, to Genesis 26. But Jesus often, often in his teaching, takes back to, us back to the Old Testament, and he connects how that all points forward to himself. But in that on account of Isaiah, I think he's talking about people who come to hear with a predisposition, or well, I'm not sure, sure if that's the right word, but they have no intention of learning or growing. They come with their mind made up, their mind is set, you're not going to change my mind. And so when God's word goes out, it falls on deaf, ear, deaf ears. And in Isaiah 6, it's, God is talking about the children of Israel. Um, I'm sorry, let me, let me find my place in my notes. He, they're the ones who are pre, preconditioned to not wanting to know, if you will. They come with a critical spirit full of cynicism and spite. And they only find fault with the message so that they can continue on their way because they do not want to be changed. And so what, I think what, what Jesus is saying is those, what was true in Isaiah's day, even the children of Israel who would refuse to listen to God, they were stubborn, they were hard-hearted. Jesus is saying that exact same thing is true today when I'm speaking. Many of you are listening to me today, this big crowd of people. Many of those were listening, not because they wanted to learn, not because they wanted to grow, not because they wanted to change. But they were maybe intrigued, or maybe they were being critical. Maybe they were trying a way to find a way to undermine Jesus. And so I ask us, is this still true of us today? When God's Word goes out, when we take in God's Word, how do we respond? Do we actually listen? A heart that desires truth and is open will hear and will understand. There's a remnant at the very last verse that Merv read in Isaiah. It talks about a remnant. I think it calls it a tenth. The remnant. And I think that probably is referring us 
forward to the good soil. There are those who actually engage and allow the Word of God to change their hearts. So that's the thing with the parables that Jesus speaks. I think it was um, Michael Card. I'll put a plug in for these. Michael Card actually has, he has, um, oh, what does he call them? He has what... He has three books, Matthew, or four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the three Gospels, and he goes through each chapter and he breaks it down and gives commentary on them, um, and they're, they're so well written. He's such a good teacher, and I think it was him in um, his book in Mark that says, for a parable to be understood, it must be engaged. We must engage, and I think that's true of all of Scripture, for, to understand and allow it to change us, then we must engage it. But we must engage it not only intellectually with our heads. There are people who engage Scripture intellectually with their heads. They gain a great understanding in their heads of Scripture, but it does zero to change their hearts. And I think, I think that is, becomes a very Pharisaical person. That's what the, the Pharisees knew the Scriptures inside and out. And yet their hearts were hard towards Jesus. Um, so they require us to engage in the text. So let's, let's read the rest of Jesus' explanation of the parable and then engage with it for just a minute and try to understand or get a glimpse of what Jesus is trying, the point he's trying to drive home. Verse 14, the sower sows the word, the sower obviously being God, the sower sows the word, the seed is the word of God, and those are the ones, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And they are the ones, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word of God, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word, who accept it, and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So this is much, much more than a story about just raising a good wheat crop. It's much more. So the people would have understood how you grow a good crop of wheat, but do we understand how um, to grow, if you will, can you say a grow a good crop? in the soil of our hearts? What is the condition of the soil in your heart? Where do you find yourself? Where do I find myself this morning in these four different soils that I believe are a condition of our hearts? So let's just go through these very quickly and find yourself in it this morning. The seed that follows on the path is a heart that is hard, and the message of the gospel does not penetrate it. Satan, in those, in those hard hearts, I believe, one of Satan's tactics is to make the word of God feel or seem like it is irrelevant. 
Do you ever read things in Scripture that is like, how in the world is that relevant to us today? There are those. I mean, it's like, okay, so what in the world is that? But Scripture also tells us that all of it is profitable for reproof, correction, and on and on. So all of Scripture is relevant to us today. But if Satan can convince us that there's pieces that are not relevant to, to you and to me today, those things we will never understand. But as, as we embrace the relevance of Scripture, I think those, thing, those pieces that may seem like they don't have much relevance to us today, and as we truly listen, as we truly engage with those, they begin, oh, and the hardness of our, misunder- our lack of understanding begins to break down. Um, so it's true of the unbeliever, the one who refuses to hear. Satan comes and he plucks up that, the good news of the gospel and it disappears. But I think it's also true, or can be true, of us as believers sometimes. We need the good news of the gospel daily in our lives. Every day we need the gospel. Sometimes God's words bounce off of us like a kid on a trampoline. There's no engagement with us, and our heads and our hearts are completely disconnected from the word. Sometimes we as believers have have these hidden places in our hearts, these hidden things that no one sees that are rock hard. Eventually, or yeah, eventually those things do come to the surface. But we, I, th- I think if we're not careful, we, we can have those places where um, Satan comes and we, we refuse to go there. We refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to touch those places in our hearts and that we become hard. And so God's Word cannot penetrate into those spots. But listen, there is no heart, there is no path, there is no concrete heart that is too hard for God to break. The Holy Spirit does His work. Secondly is the, is the rocky soil. Is there anything that reveals the root systems of our hearts and what we actually believe, like trials and persecution, troubles, things that come along that are really hard? Suddenly, it reveals the things that I truly believe, the depth of my character, the depth of my relationship with God, begin to come to the surface. And when that happens, do I just cash in and say, it isn't worth it, it's too hard? Often the one, the rocky soil, is the one who follows the path of least resistance. Perhaps when we embrace the gospel, we expect life to suddenly become easy and to fall, things to fall into place. Or maybe it's those of us who come to church Sunday morning to get our fix We sit here for two hours, we worship, we listen to Scripture, we discuss Scripture, and we go home, we never give it another thought. Does that take any root in your life when Sunday morning, for two hours, hour and a half, whatever it is, that is your only time that you actually engage and think about Scripture? Will it ever take any deep root in my life? Roots develop as we cultivate the deeper parts of our lives. And sometimes, 
Sometimes the reason that we don't have any root development is because of those there's hard, hard places. Kind of like the rocky path, that's on the surface, someone who's really hard on the surface. Or maybe we, we hide it for a while. But sometimes deep down, deep down, there's really, really hard places. In the farmer's world, we call it the hard pan. You see farmers around here go through with deep rippers, they call them, and they literally, three feet down, they will just cut through and break up what they call the hard pan. It doesn't allow the water to drain. It doesn't allow root systems to develop. There's a, one of my Instagram farmer, farmer guys that I follow is an almond farmer from California. They plant acres and acres and acres of almond trees. But for years, year, ground that has been sitting for years, for 50 years there, six feet down, four, four to six feet down, it develops such a hard pan, it's almost like a concrete. And the trees cannot grow, they cannot thrive because they cannot get the root system that they need. So they go through with these massive dozers and deep shanks and they rip down to six and seven feet. They absolutely just rip up and break up that hard, hard pan in a crisscross pattern so that the, the, the trees can actually develop a root system. Sometimes, and as painful as it is, we have that God has to come in and break up that hard pan in my heart. And there's different ways that He does that, and it's often a painful process, but the end result can be a good process. I think that's one of the ways that we go from being a part of that rocky soil and moving in, us into being a good soil. Thorny soil. What's the thorny soil? Maybe this is, I think this is probably where I find myself most often. Thorny soil is the distracted listener. Jesus calls us to be attentive to his word, but the thorny soil is the distracted listener. He's a heart that responds readily, but at the end of the day, it bears no fruit because of all the distractions and the demands that take so much of my time, my energy, and my attention. Do you ever wonder why, why weeds are weeds? Why, is, why are thorns a weed? They're pain, I get that. But um, dandelions, I don't mind dandelions, but some people do. Dandelions are probably considered a weed by many. But a weed is something that is, by its very nature, it's a weed because of how prolific it is, how it spreads rapidly, and the only way to control it is to kill it, and still it sprouts up. It just comes up over and over again. In our lives, it does so in nature, but also does in our hearts. And it will grow in places, it always grows in places that we never want it to grow. It never grows, like if they just grow off somewhere else, I wouldn't care. But if they grow right in your, the row of your crop or in your hayfield, you can't have that. You've got to get rid of the weeds. But thorns are resilient and they will overpower the crop, the weeds will, if they aren't dealt with. Notice he doesn't say, I mentioned this before, that it doesn't say the plant dies. I think it's very possible that this plant even looks good. The plant itself looks good, but there's no fruit because of the distraction of the thorns. Could it be that this is where we as church people, and this is myself, find my, ourselves often, we look good, we can look like we're healthy, 
because we know the parts of ourselves to show, first of all, and we do really good at disguising and hiding the thorns that are growing in our lives, in our hearts. The question that Jesus wants us to wrestle with, not do we look good, but is there fruit? Is there fruit in your life? Is there fruit in my life? And I'm not going to go into what all those thorns might be, but he says they are the cares of the world. So all the distractions that come up in our lives, think, whatever, think of what that might be for you. The deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. And I think these other things often are good things. But we sacrifice and we lose the best because all our attention, all our focus is on the thorns. Or it it takes away all of our, our energy, all of our time. The thorns that we allow to grow in our lives will always, they will always win the race for your heart. Unless we get rid of those thorns in our lives, unless I get rid of those, they will always take over because they demand so much of my attention, so much of my energy, and the Word of God is not going to bear fruit in my life because I can give no engagement, I can give no interaction, I can give no energy and time to what really matters. So God comes in our lives in the rocky soil, and He breaks up the hard pan, and then He comes and He cultivates, and that's our hearts, that's the thorns. He cultivates those thorns out. So what are the weeds that are zapping all the moisture and the nutrients from your heart? Allow God to cultivate those, our hearts. God cultivates our hearts as we repent and we change. And then lastly is the good soil. This is exactly where we want to be. Now, I think in their day, if something produced, if a crop produced ten times of what they planted, it was a good crop. So we're talking a massive bumper crop. Luke doesn't even mention the 30 and the 60-fold, but he jumps just straight to the 100-fold. So I think what Jesus wants us to understand is that good soil bears fruit because the seed is received as the Holy Spirit comes and He tills and He works that seed into our lives. Remember how I said when they would spread the seed... And then they would come and they would work it into our lives. Or they would work it into the soil. I think that is how God works through His Word in our lives. We hear the Word. We read it. Not Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Every single day. We, I won't go there. Not into the everyday thing. But engage God's Word. As we engage in God's Word, the Holy Spirit comes and He works it into those deep places of our hearts. It gets down into that hard pan and it begins to reveal what that hard pan is and begins to break up that hard pan. As we engage in the Scripture and as we engage God in His Word, it cultivates, it reveals what those thorns are that are zapping all the nutrients and the moisture from the ground of my life. This is the type of soil This type of soil is the one who is a growing disciple, one who is eager and attentive to learn. And I think it's why so many 
completely missed Jesus because they had no intention of changing, of learning, of, and growing. So let me just, in closing, pay attention how you listen. Think about it in a, in a conversation. Pay attention how you listen. Do you listen with your eyes, with eye contact? You can see if you're talking to someone, they're looking at you, and suddenly they're looking over here, and then over here. They're, they've become completely disengaged with what you're saying. How do you listen to God speak? How do you listen when you engage Him in His Word? Do you engage Him in a deep level over and over throughout the day? Chew on it. And as you do, it changes your heart. Notice that each one of these soils hears the exact same word. The seed that is spread on all four of those soils is the same. But it's the soil that's different. So where is your heart? Where is my heart today in that? It is God who causes the fruit to grow, to the grain to grow. Our responsibility is to allow the, the sower to prepare our hearts and to change our hearts so that we become good soil. Good soil is the desire, it is the aim. Good soil is the result of doing what the parables of Jesus demand of us. And that is, again, pray for understanding as you engage the Scripture. Prayer and engagement. The Holy Spirit works powerfully. If we, if we neglect prayer and, in, and true engagement in the Word, can we truly understand what we're reading? The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and reveals in those times as we do that. So think about it. Think about it when in your next conversation with people. How are you listening? And then translate that into your, your spiritual life this next week. Think about it. How am I listening to what God is saying? Am I hearing? Am I engaging? So God bless you guys for your time. It's time to close. I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll, we'll close in prayer. And you guys can be dismissed for this week. <clears throat> God, I just pray that as we, as we soak in your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would, would come into our hearts um, and, and reveal, reveal to us, God, what, what our hearts are like. What, what's my heart really like? What's the condition of it? Where are those hard places that you want to come in and break up? And I pray that as we engage in your word this week, that we would listen well, that we would truly listen and allow your word to penetrate those deepest places of our hearts so that our lives will go forward and we'll be producing fruit that draws people into your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.